0: good morning so if you have um, if you have seen the viral video on YouTube of uh, the two people in Yellowstone Park ignoring all of the signs throughout the park that say absolutely do not approach the bison absolutely do not enter the areas where bison are present absolutely uh, maintain a distance of at least a minimum of 25 yards um, so you know let's let's be grateful that the bison, Following its own instincts, uh, when the woman who tripped and fell in her attempt to run away from the bison, and by the way, the man running away from the bison did get away, um, the woman tripped and fell, and um, people were screaming, "Play dead, play, dead, play dead." Thankfully she did, um, which probably saved her life because the bison instinct- instinctively then just sniffed her and walked away. Um, okay, don't 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 flirt with disaster today. Like don't if there's big warning signs, like if God says don't go there, if God has made an animal um in such a way to instinctively guard its own area and it's wild, don't don't go there. D- I, so, don't flirt with disaster today. Your body is fragile. You are prone um to brokenness and death. And so this is my this is my sober warning today. Don't be like these people who uh, thought they could approach the bison in Yellowstone Park. Um they're wild animals uh and even though you're socially distancing from people, let's give wild animals even greater social distance. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like I needed to give that warning today. Um two polls out yesterday that uh I just want to lift up very quickly. Cato, C A T O, uh is where you would find uh this survey that I'm gonna I'm gonna just briefly touch on here this morning. Sixty two percent of the people surveyed say that the political climate today in the United States of America prevents them from saying what they believe. Sixty two percent. My sister said the other day um, that people she, she I think this was a criticism of me like veiled. Um, but she said, you know, people, Carmen, people don't like conflict. People don't intentionally get themselves into conflict. People don't invite conflict. People are conflict-averse, and I I, have, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. Uh, 62% of people today say that the political climate is such that it's preventing them from saying what they believe. Um, that is true of conservatives far more than liberals. 77% of people who have conservative beliefs say that the political climate is preventing them from saying what they believe. Um, so... Here's my concern related to that and our Christian witness in the culture today. We cannot remain silent. We, we have a great commission and we have a calling and we are possessed of a Holy Spirit and we are agents of God's grace and we are ambassadors of a king and a kingdom. And it's our job to shine like lights in the darkness. And it's our responsibility to speak truth even when people have itchy ears and would much rather hear something else. And so I'm going to prayerfully encourage you today to consider speaking the truth of the gospel, even when, even when the cultural climate of the day makes you scared to do so. Because there is power that goes forth in the gospel and God's word never returns void. And so let us be people of the word, let us be people uh, possessed of the Holy Spirit. Let us be people who are seeking to advance the gospel always and in all ways. Uh, and let us be people who do not remain silent. All right. Uh, first up this morning, Ben Johnson, who's not silent. He's the rights writer. He's up next. We're going to talk about the Second Amendment and the other First Amendment rights. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Here to talk with us about those rights given to us by God is Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer. You can also find him at the Acton Institute. Ben, welcome back.
1: Good to be with you again, Carmen.
0: Hey, let's talk about uh let's start with the second amendment there's a second amendment case in st louis for people who let's just say people who haven't been paying attention to the news tell us what's going on in st louis
1: well i think everyone probably saw the photo of uh, the mccloskeys mark and patricia mccloskey uh because it was taken uh, it was so widely broadcast and taken so radically out of context uh, in this case mark and patricia mccloskey mark is a lawyer in st louis lives in a gated community on a private street and during the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, when violence and arson was at its height, hundreds of protesters broke through the gate uh, into their property and strolled up onto uh, onto the very property, at the edge of the property that they stat- they, uh, they own, a $1.2 million mansion that they own in the middle of, uh, of St. Louis. They say they were on their way to the mayor's office. The McCloskeys say... That the crowd threatened to kill their dog to kill them and to burn their house to the ground, so the photos showed them come out with uh, with uh, in his case an a r fifteen she had a semi automatic weapon, and they told the people to leave and the protesters video uh, videoed them show, uploaded that to youtube, took photos, and now the local attorney is is accusing them of committing a felony uh, the unlawful use of a weapon uh, known as exhibiting which says that uh, you can be charged with a felony if you uh, display a weapon in an angry or threatening manner. Now that's typically the case. However, it is usually the case that uh, this is uh, this is something that's uh, levied against someone only if they are the instigator in 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 this, uh, not if they have a reason to be angry, like if 300 uninvited guests show up on their lawn threatening to kill themselves and their pets.
0: All right. So every state probably has somewhat different uh, laws related to the brandishing of a weapon, uh, the unlawful use of a weapon. Um, But everybody has a a Second Amendment right. I think that the conversation, Ben, that we we have to learn to have is if the right of one individual to peacefully protest comes up against the right of another individual to defend themselves and their own property— Um, We have the uh, we've been having a similar conversation about um, so-called like sexual ethics, like the right of an individual to um, to advance their own sexual ethic over and against their their right to do that over and against maybe my religious right to say, I don't I don't I'd really them not interested in having that uh, pushed into. Uh, my life or my children's education or my health care system or whatever. So um, this this distinction between whose rights win, I think this is a looming conversation for us as Americans.
1: It is. And this prosecution may very well be the clearest inversion of the will of the Founding Fathers in recent history. Ooh, like, you, you know, should say founding... that again.
0: OK, because that was a really good sentence.
1: Thank you. This prosecution may be the clearest inversion of the will of the Founding Fathers in recent history. The Founding Fathers were incredibly clear uh, when it came to rights, and, and uh, this has been presented as a case of rights in conflict. However, there is no right to protest because they were there illegally. Uh, in order to protest, you have to have legal authorization for, uh, for the protest that you are enduring, or like uh, those who, in uh, the case of civil rights protesters in the South, you are willingly going to bear the legal consequences of gathering illegally, uh, in, in which case your, your persecution will be an even greater uh, sense of martyrdom and a, a greater example of your dedication to your cause. But Mark and Patricia uh, McCloskey had every reasonable expectation that they could face mass violence in a very short period of time. Uh, the McCloskeys claimed that they called the police and the police did not come which uh, may or may not be the case, we don't know. What we know for a fact is that uh, the police have been given stand-down orders many times and that people such as the leadership of St. Louis said that uh, they are not going to defend property. They are only going to defend people when uh, actual lives are already threatened. Now, the average response time of a police officer is about 20 minutes. Uh, an, an unarmed person could suffer a lot at the hands of three hundred um, a mob of 300 people in 20 minutes. So uh, there's no question, they had a reasonable expectation they could face violence in a very short period of time. Uh, also this is uh, the, same, the same situation just a, a few days earlier, there'd been an arson of a 7-Eleven and of course the murder of the 77-year-old retired police chief David Dorn, all in the same city, all by protesters uh, who were acting under the cover of a Black Lives Matter protest to to cloak their own uh, designs of illegality. So. Uh, all of this is taking place. Ultimately, what this is about is people covering up for people who are uh, sharing their own political point of view. Black Lives Matter is an incredibly left-wing organization. There's no question that the McCloskeys, who I, I don't believe are conservatives, they're trial lawyers, uh, which tends to be a fairly left-wing organ- uh, group of, uh, of people, nonetheless uh, are, are simply defending themselves. But they are uh, in front of a $1 million mansion. They're obviously defending, they become a poster children for the Second Amendment, and uh, this is not going to be allowed to stand. So you have this double standard, just like when uh, uh, Planned Parenthood is not uh, being pers- uh, prosecuted for trying to sell the organs of aborted children, but those who videotape them are prosecuted for years on end. People are tired of this double standard of justice, whether it's the McCloskeys or Planned Parenthood or the never-ending series of, uh, of second chances that seem to be given to Hillary Clinton and those who were well connected politically. This is, an invest, this is absolutely a, 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 an invasion of uh, their right to privacy, an invasion of their home, their right to property, and their Second Amendment rights. And by the way, since this is a felony, if they're convicted, they could lose both his law license and their ability to keep and bear arms.
0: All right. There's a lot at stake here. Um, I don't want to have, I mean, thank you, Ben, for helping us have the conversation um, in measured tones. I have heard this conversation um, had in other environments in, in, uh, in terms of phrase and uh, hyperbole that's not helpful. I do think that we need to be able to think through these issues and concerns. We need to be able to articulate uh, our understanding of things. We also need to recognize people are really afraid People are really afraid, and fear is real and so um, if you are afraid today, um, let me just encourage you to first recognize that uh, we find ourselves in the shelter of a holy god um, and and let's let's start there. Uh, I recognize that there are many things going on in our individual lives uh, and in our culture that are fear-producing. But let us be a people who, of faith, even in the midst of times that are very, very challenging. Ben Johnson and I are going to be right back, and we are going to talk about uh, the right to protest and the limits on it. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, he tweets at The Rights Writer. You can also find him at acton, acton.org.org. Um Ben let's uh let's conclude that first conversation with a conversation about the the limitations on the right to protest because I do think um having some knowledge about this is helpful for all of
1: us. Yeah and there are limits to protest uh, typically in order to protest you have to get some kind of a government uh permit or or some kind of authorization from the powers that be allowing you to gather in a public way uh provided that it's um, going to be something that will um, will inconvenience others. So uh, quite often you know, during the Iraq war, for example, people were gathering in the middle of intersections uh, during, um, uh, I believe it was an amnesty uh, march in uh, 2006 or 7. children from the LA school district, LA United school district were ended uh, marching on the freeways, uh, which is obviously not only harmful for those who are driving and, and are unable to cross, but uh, detrimental potentially to the lives of the children at stake. Uh, so, when it comes to that, obviously, you need a permit so that no one is harmed, and if you don't have a permit, uh, in, in in the old days of the civil rights, um, Jim Crow and Bull Connor, people could not get permits in order to uh, march for things that were truly important. You saw Martin Luther King Jr. and others were willing to bear the cost of breaking the law because the point that they were making was so important, they wanted to show they were willing to put their lives on the line. And so uh, that's something that doesn't hold today, particularly with the, the protests that we're seeing, when people march and they are the ones who are being aggressive, that, that stands that ethic on its head and says, not that I'm willing to suffer, but that I'm willing to persecute. And that's the separation between a martyr and a bully.
0: All right. I'm just going to go ahead. If you're interested in knowing more, go to the ACLU.org. They have a Know Your Rights page. They have a protesters' rights page. They have a demonstrators' and protest rights page. Um, so go to the ACLU.org if you really want to know more um, about this particular matter. All right, Ben, let's, uh, let's pivot here just for a moment and talk about the continuing crackdown uh, in Hong Kong.
1: Hong Kong, since they've passed the national security law, is subject to the most egregious forms of uh, free speech restriction possibly on the earth. Uh, many uh, free speech advocates simply went silent when the law was passed uh, at the first of the month. They have curtailed their activities. In fact, one of the mass forms of protest used to be that they would take yellow stick notes and uh, write messages of freedom and post them in public places. Now that has been transformed where they're simply posting blank post Uh, to say we're not allowed to speak out. Hundreds of protesters were arrested within uh, the first few days of uh, this law being operational. And as I was looking at what's happening there, uh, particularly in Hong Kong, this happened in concurrence with uh, our Declaration of Independence and our Fourth of July celebrations. I was reading the declaration and I was struck by how much it applies to what's happening in Hong Kong. Uh, the, the largest section of the Declaration of Independence is this bill of indictments that Thomas Jefferson hands down against King George III, and as he's listing the bill of grievances one after another, he says things that apply so clearly and directly to the National Security Act. He said, uh, he, King George III, has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws. He's quartered large bodies of armed troops among us. Is depriving us in many cases of the benefit of trial by jury. and He's transported us beyond the seas to be tried for pretended offenses. Now the national security law says you can be tried without a jury by a judge who is appointed by someone who is answerable only to Beijing or you can be transported to the mainland and tried by uh, a judge who is you know, a member of the Chinese Communist Party for a, a very ill-defined law. Uh, it essentially says that Whatever the government says is subversion is subversion and the the ultimate penalty could be life in prison in a gulag in communist China. So that's what they're facing today and so that tells us how important and how exceptional the United States is that we recognize these rights and that we recognize they're true for all people everywhere but so many people uh, are without them. Although I don't uh, support the philosopher, I have to agree. Men are born free and everywhere they lie in chains.
0: I want to direct people, Ben, to um, your latest blog at acton, dot O-R-G, six quotes, the report of the commission on unalienable rights. So again, if you guys want to find this, I'll post it on my social media, but you can find it at blog.acton.org, six quotes, the report of the commission on unalienable rights. Um, give, us, uh, give us a two-minute drill down on this.
1: This was an incredible report. Uh, it's, it, they produced something that's almost unheard of, which is a government report that's worth reading. Uh, this this was instigated by the State Department under Mike Pompeo, and he said he wants a report on what unalienable rights actually are, what, the idea of rights inflation that they're often applied to things that are not actually unalienable rights, and uh, specifically what kind of uh, historical process led to American exceptionalism and how we can. Support these values, which are so fundamental overseas, and so he he drilled down into unalienable rights and the founders' view of of what that is versus rights inflation, where everything is a right. Healthcare is a right. You were speaking earlier about sexual rights or transgender rights. All of these things, uh, when everything is a right, nothing is a right, and so uh, it deals with that in great detail. Uh, again, it's a, it's um, maybe a. 25 30 minute read and it's well worth reading every page but there's even a section in here which talks about how liberty uh, requires virtue it says very clearly public virtue meaning the willing subordination of private interest to the common good is also necessary hence the importance of civic republican experience deeply rooted in our self-governing townships strong families religious communities and a variety of voluntary associations that stand between the citizen and the state. So you have the idea of subsidiarity, the idea that ultimately it is only our own virtue that maintains this limited government that respects the unalienable rights given to us by the God whom we recognize and acknowledge.
0: All right, and there is a two-week period of public comment. If you go to uh, Ben's article um, posted at acton.org, at the end of the article There is uh, both the website where you can make your public comment as well as uh, the direct email for the designated federal officer, Duncan Walker. Um, His email address is posted there as well. Um, That's really helpful information, Ben, and, and thank you for equipping us to engage, right? I mean, as citizens of this great nation, we do have the opportunity to weigh in. And so we the people need to make our voices heard, particularly those of us who recognize uh, the God who is and the inalienable rights that God gives us and how those are being advanced and supported um, through this particular effort of our federal government. So we wanna encourage people to, uh, to be supportive of this effort. Ben Johnson, thank you as always for joining us.
1: Thank you, God bless.
0: You as well, we'll be right back do you believe in miracles do you believe in the miracles that are attested to in the scriptures of the old and new testament do you say you believe in god but you really function as an atheist where you really you know you uh, you sort of poo-poo um, or outright deny events recorded in the bible that are hard to believe because frankly they are miraculous Well, Tim Mahoney went looking for patterns of evidence of the miracles of the Bible. And he is joining us again today in the Patterns of Evidence film series to talk with us about why we need to go and look what he found when he went looking. And believe it or not, there's some stuff under the Red Sea that's uh, worth uh, knowing about in terms of the story of the Exodus. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we, we literally, the countdown clock is now uh, ticking away on the survey that is up right now at myfaithradio.com backslash survey, or you can text the word survey to 877-933-2484. If you're listening to this on uh, Thursday the 23rd, you got a couple of more days. If you're listening to this in the Saturday re-air of this hour of broadcast, you literally have minutes. Minutes is what I'm telling you. So why would you wait any longer? Like, this is one of those things you you just really, as a listener to The Morning Show, you can't put off any longer. Today's the day. Do it now. Text the word SURVEY to 877-933-2484 or go online to myfaithradio.com backslash SURVEY. Let us know what you think about what we're doing and how you think we could do it better. We'll be right back.
2: In your home and mine, respect is a key
1: issue. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If disrespectful comments are the norm in your household, something's got to be done. Because relationships won't be healthy unless there's mutual respect. So here's what I challenge parents to do. First, admit that you may be contributing to the disrespect in your home. If that's the case, admit it and apologize for any belittling or bitterness you've added to the equation. Then call for a family dinner and announce that you're making some changes. You'll make an effort to be different, and you expect the same from your team. You might be surprised at the outcome when you have the courage to take this first step. Mark Gregston is hosting a virtual Families in Crisis Retreat on Zoom the weekend beginning Thursday night, July 30th. To register, go to FamilyCrisisRetreat.com.
0: Tim Mahoney, he has been with us before. We have talked about the Patterns of Evidence series. You can check it all out at PatternsofEvidence.com. Today, we're going to talk about the Red Sea Miracle 2. Tim, welcome back.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so this is the Adventure of a Lifetime, um, and I want to talk uh, specifically about the investigation into the Red Sea um, and what you discovered. But let's start with a question about why even go and look? Why, why even go and investigate what the Bible says about things as hard to believe as the parting of the Red Sea?
2: Well, one of the reasons is that uh, there are a number of people that, that are claiming that none of this is true. And that's what happened when uh, I went to investigate it. And that caused me to have a crisis of faith, which launched me on this literally 20-year investigation. And uh, what we ended up finding was that there was a pattern of evidence that supported the biblical account. And what I've been doing is just pursuing that pattern, and uh, it's really changing lives.
0: So if I were to ask someone what— what would an investigation have to find? What would have to be uh, dug up or revealed, uh, you know, at the bottom of the ocean? What would you have to see in order to believe the account of, uh, of the parting of the Red Sea? Um, might one answer to the question be, hmm, evidence of some uh, chariot wheels
2: Exactly, yes, and that's what intrigued me in fact, in the very beginning that 's what I went to search for. I had heard that there were divers that were diving for the remains of Pharaoh's army, and they were looking for coral encrusted chariot wheels and uh, so that would be evidence uh, if you could find the remains of pharaoh's army, it would be one part of the uh, of the of the biblical account that you'd be looking for, but there are other things too, people are looking for geographical uh clues that the the scriptures are, are telling us uh you know where they were were they inside egypt were they outside of egypt uh were were they in a narrow uh were they in an entrapped area because the bible says that they were they were trapped and Pharaoh thought that they were entangled in the wilderness so those were clues that this film investigated uh for the different locations people have suggested that the uh, Israelites were trapped at the sea.
0: There's also um, what I will describe as like forensic meteorology. This this conversation about the weather could could this kind of wind event have occurred? And again, this is not about seeking to glorify uh, the weather pattern. This is uh, about recognizing that some things are possible, even if they don't happen very often. Um, miracles hold up under the scrutiny of science.
2: Yes, there's a there's a there's a um... I wouldn't call it a technique, but there's a phenomena called the wind set down, and wind set down uh, is a theory that's uh, that is being looked at uh, by the lake lake areas in Egypt as a way that if the wind was blowing at the right time, it could blow across the water, and it's almost like a tide. It would push the water back over a you know over a period of hours, uh, to a, to a degree that that when the wind stopped, then um, it, the wind, the water would come rushing back. So it, what they're suggesting in wind set-down theory is that the Israelites, that God sent an east wind and that this wind blew all night and gave the Israelites enough time to walk through on dry ground. And then when the wind stopped blowing, the water came rushing back and drowned the Egyptians.
0: All right, I'm talking with Tim Mahoney. We are talking about the latest film, in the patterns of evidence series it is the red sea miracle 2 um it actually i i think right people can buy tickets they can start watching it tomorrow night
2: Am I yes, making that uh, up we're... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you're you're good. What happened was we had a a, a private release to our thinkers. We have a, a group of thinkers. You can sign up to become a thinker and get archaeological information every week. We we come out with it uh, on the Bible. But uh, tomorrow night is our big national release on SalemNow.com it's a new digital platform salemnow.com and um uh, that's where we're going to be releasing nationally and they can buy tickets bring their family over uh you know uh, that the ones that are safe to come over <laughs> and w- watch it with your family and uh we've got actually two films red sea part 1 and red sea part 2 it's uh they're two 2 hour feature films uh that are uh going to be accessible
0: That's so cool. All right. So um patterns of is just sort of the one-stop place to go and find out all the information about all of this. Right. Um Tim, right. I want to ask you this. Um I want to just ask you a kind of a believe it or not question because I do think that there are people who are believers who imagine that if we present enough evidence, non-believers will believe. And and in some cases, that's true, but in other cases, like, God literally has to just touch somebody's heart. Like, for some people, there's just never going to be enough evidence.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I agree with that. I mean, look at the biblical accounts. Uh, the, the people who who witnessed miracles divided in different, uh, different categories. Some people believed and humbled themselves to God, and other people got hardened. Pharaoh saw miraculous events in Egypt. In fact, mm-hmm. he saw 10 of them. Uh, the 10 plagues of Egypt. And even after that time, his heart was hardened against God and he continued to refuse. You know, in the very beginning, Pharaoh asked the question, who is this God that I should believe him? When Moses asked uh, to have the people, you know, be, be released to worship this God. So I think that this is uh the way many people are uh it's like the parable of the seed right jesus says that the seed is sown and some f- falls on hard ground and some falls on good ground and some on th- thorny and thorns and rocky areas so that's something that we're seeing all the time
0: i love it when jesus uh you know recognizes faith in an individual that's you know kind of surprising and you know he talks about how you know great faith you know greater faith i've never found um, I, I do think that there is this faith component that, to our curiosity and to our questing. And so even though you might describe it as a crisis of faith, it's still faith-based. It's still a faith-based quest that leads me to want to know and to want to discover and to want to dig and dive and uh, and search the world over. Tim, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, let me go ahead and tell you what I'm going to ask you so that you can be thinking about it. Are there still things on your bucket list That you want to go and discover and dig up and verify. So, we're going to come back and we're going to talk with Tim Mahoney about what patterns of evidence he still wants to search out. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Tim Mahoney. You can find uh, what we're talking about today at PatternsofEvidence.com. evidence.com. Let me tell you, if you've got a curious kid, if you have uh, a kid who, or a young adult who, um, who is interested in forensics of any kind, archaeology, uh, weather forensic, I mean, there's all kinds of forensic conversations we could have. This is a, a forensic exploration of the miracles of the Bible. And in particular, we're talking about. The Red Sea Miracle. Uh, there's two movies, one and two, and you can check it all out at This is a really great opportunity for you as a person of faith to share the curiosity and the quest for the kinds of evidence that, uh, that we want to not only have, but we want to be able to point to when people ask questions about the veracity of what the Bible says, particularly about miracles. So, Tim, I'm wondering— um, do you have a bucket list of like things you'd still like to go and search out?:
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I have written it down. We, we created what the uh, what would we call a like a show Bible. you know it's a it's a uh, 37 page document, I believe it is, that has all the future episodes that we're looking at producing. And so we're, after they cross the sea, you know they head on to Mount Sinai. And the question then is is, well, where is Mount Sinai? And then what evidence is there at Mount Sinai? And then what what happened at Mount Sinai that has impacted the world? And when we think about the first five books of the Bible, you know, Moses, I believe, uh, wrote those during the time between, you know, the events that he recorded and the first five books of the Bible, I believe that Moses wrote those, uh, and that happened sometime before his death, right? And so they were wandering right. in the wilderness during this time. So we're looking at that whole that whole time period in the biblical account, and there are so many things. The fact that we were the Book of Genesis was recorded. You know, Moses would meet with God and and and. And God would instruct Moses in many things. And I'm sure that there was a, uh, uh, understandings that came down from Adam through uh, and through Noah and through the family, Abraham, uh, that Moses was recording. But there's so much. And then how does that impact us today? What are the confusions that are going on that, that uh, aren't aligning themselves with the truth of God's word? Those are the things I'm interested in. And looking for the physical evidence and then looking for the even the philosophical and the spiritual and the you know the the meanings of what these things are about i'm that's what I'm exploring
0: so Tim, if somebody were to um, be what I will describe as a skeptic, let's imagine that the third person in this conversation right now is a skeptic, and we want to at least invite them. To open themselves to the possibility of miracles, what would you say to them?
2: Well, I asked the question: you know, is there any you know scientific evidence for miracles? And this is towards the end of the film when we start looking at this, and we realize that that there is. There's uh, actually documented by Dr. Craig Keener. He has a two volume set on miracles, of which he went and documented with medical you know support of people who have had cancer and that were completely healed, or uh, for example, in the in our film we use um, a testimony by John Smith. In and he drowned <laughs> the very day I was releasing my first film. Uh, John Smith was a young boy; I think he was fourteen years old, and he 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 fell through some ice in in St. Louis, Missouri, in that area, and uh, he didn't get out. He drowned. And about an hour, and I think it was eight minutes later, they had been trying to revive him. His mother came in to say goodbye to him. But instead of saying goodbye, she had been studying the Bible, and she knew about faith and about praying for miracles. And uh, she you know, held his feet, and she cried out to God, and, and she said, you know, God, you know, breathe life into my son. And after being dead, as I said, for an hour, I think it was in eight minutes, his, his heartbeat started. And, uh, he had a long ways to go because he was brain dead. He, you know, this had never happened. And there was a series of prayer, uh, episodes, I guess, that were prayed, they prayed through all these different medical things and, uh, John, uh, John's testimony, Uh, about miracles is in the ending of our film. And um, so I think that that a skeptic would—you'd have to ask a skeptic, well, how did this happen? And one thing that I found out is that miracles point to God. They're, they're, they're meant to cause people to say, how did this happen? And there's like a, a mercy that God would give to people to let them see something. And historically, uh, in other parts of the world, when missionaries have something that happens, a miracle then sometimes testifies to the power of God against the power of idolatry. And so um, this is, I think, the reason why... Uh, God uses miracles. But as you know, in the Gospels, Jesus would perform miracles, and it didn't mean that everybody believed. Some people got angry angry at God, or angry that this happened, and they weren't going to believe.
0: And I think, you know, part of that resistance, Tim, is, you know, God hasn't always done everything for everyone in the way they've asked when they've asked. And Mm -hmm. so because God doesn't function like a gumball machine on demand— um, people uh, who obviously have the, the relationship there inverted as if I can boss God around um, and right. misunderstand God's sovereignty, right? I think that's where that, that angry reaction uh, comes. And so if we can sit with people long enough and we can, and we can get them to tell us where, where in their life they have experienced this disappointment, this, um, this moment in time when they asked for a miracle— And it didn't happen when they wanted or how or or how they wanted or in in the way that they, you know, it gives us an opportunity to talk about God's sovereignty. It gives us an opportunity to talk about where we are as creatures in relationship to a creator. Um, And it points to, you know, deep down within us, there is this heartbeat of eternity. We know that God exists and God is or we wouldn't cry out for him in moments of desperation. Why would you ever ask for a miracle if you didn't believe there was a God who could perform one?
2: Yes, and I think what can happen now is that many of us have stopped asking because we're afraid of the answer, or we just don't believe anymore. And when I made this film, I realized that I had stopped asking or praying for the big things Hmm. that I didn't have faith for that. And I think uh, you know, without you know, you know, you you can have a certain amount of unbelief. I mean, unbelief can be in people that are supposed to be believers. Um, and I believe that we're living at a time now, in fact, as, I, as I'm as i showing in this film, there are some situations that we're involved with right now in our world, with the pandemic, with the protests and everything, that, that are going to take a miracle of God, uh, because there aren't any human answers to some of these things, um, uh, and who knows what else could happen. <laughs> so, right. I mean, this is where I think we need to pray and have faith that God is hearing our prayers. Now, our I think the thing is God always hears, but he doesn't always answer the way we want, but his, right. he does answer. I Absolutely. think that's what we're talking about.
0: Absolutely. All right, Tim, I've just loved it. We're out of time. I want to invite everybody to visit com. Check out uh, the Red Sea Miracle 1 and 2 and everything else that's available for you there at com. Tim Mahoney, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Carmen. Great, great to be on your show.
0: Well, thank you. We'll be right back. All right, if you did not hear my conversation with Glenn Berto uh, and his testimony of miraculous healing, uh, go and find the podcast. You can find that at myfaithradio.com. Click on the podcast tab and scroll down to Mornings with Carmen. Click on that. You're looking for Glenn Berto. Um, he died, and yet he lives. Uh, also, remind you of Steph Curry's movie. Um, uh, it's called Breakthrough. That's actually the the. Cinema, cinem, you know, like, you know, movie version of the story, that cinematic, thank you, Paul, of the story uh, of John Smith that, uh, that Tim Mahoney was referencing as well. So if you want uh, to reach back and get that, the movie you're looking for is Breakthrough. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, Peter Kapsner will be here. He's one of your fan favorites. Um, If you haven't weighed in yet on our survey, please do that right now. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.